0: Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. I have spent this wonderful Tuesday morning, the day before Freedom Day, with um, Section 27. It used to be the AIDS Law Project, and I'm here in Bramfontein at their offices. I've learned so much about the work that they do. Absolutely incredible bunch of researchers who work here from attorneys to budget researchers. Advocacy staff, communication staff. I mean, it's really incredible how they all contribute in a collaborative way to fighting the good fight when it comes to making sure that we animate the rights in our constitution. And I thought to myself, you know what? This being the day before Freedom Day, it's a very important opportunity for us to do our annual stock taking. What I always call minding the gap, minding the gap between the normative vision of our constitution and our actual realities. And one of the many brilliant people I've met is C D Lengwasa, and C D has agreed to spend a couple of seconds with me here on the side of what has been a very productive morning just to talk into this particular question. Listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKeiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics, and ethics, how they intersect, and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, no, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. Can
1: I have my iPad, please? <laughs> so they stole it.
0: We could spend hours on this question, Siri, but um, I want to get a couple of your personal thoughts out. Obviously, you work for Section Twenty Seven, but you have a deep personal interest in this stuff yourself. Thanks so much for coming on Times Live. Thank you for the platform, Siri. I want to start firstly by you introducing yourself. I mean, you are a young black South African woman who could have chosen any particular career. What brought you to Section 27? Is it an interest in human rights, or are you just fascinated by numbers regardless of the industry?
1: Yeah, so that's a very uh, good question. And I would say that what brought me to Section 27 is my activism or just passion um, as a South African. Um, And I think it is quite topical now with um, Freedom Day approaching, taking stock of um, how we can use tools like the national budget to advance um, socioeconomic rights. So Section 27 is a public interest law for um, organization. And so much of the work that we do is around the Constitution. But often the uh, arguments that government have is that, oh, but they don't have the fi- funding or the finances to get rid of maybe like the pit- latrines in Limpopo or whatever it is. And so I would, you know, I thought it would be great to use some of my expertise um, to mm. advance um that you know so that we can just mind that gap and ensure that all people in South Africa
0: enjoy the fruits oh my Africa. god, that's so fascinating. There's a friend of mine, togozile who will listen to this conversation, I'll make sure she does, who's gonna slap me because for years she's been wanting me to put more focus in my work on budgets and asking questions, is the budget a feminist budget? Is it pro-poor? Is it a social justice budget? And I think you're speaking to that. We're gonna come to that in a second. Let's just speak a little bit in terms of the big picture around Freedom Day itself. For you on a personal level, what does freedom mean?
1: So, um, um, so freedom for me, um, as a born free, actually, I was born, um, in 94. And I think it's just the idea that, well, apartheid is over, but also like the legacy of apartheid, um, be overcome so that everyone in South Africa, everyone who lives in this country, um, irrespective of where you come from, how you, your social identifier, um, you have equal opportunity, um, to participate and enjoy the fruits of the hard-earned freedoms that we've
0: gained. Yeah, I mean, it's such a robust concept in political science as well as in law, and it means so many different things for so many different people, but I think we can all agree on some baseline bits that needs to be put to the bones of the concept. I don't think... uh, political rights alone can define our freedom. One of the things that I really love about our Constitution, which is also why I love your organization that you work for so much, is that we decided in the 90s that freedom cannot only be about civil and political rights because as important as it is to have universal adult suffrage and having our parents vote for the first time in 1994, ultimately we want, as Amartya Sen might say, everyone's potential to be realized there's no point in voting regularly if you are living a life that is one of destitute right
1: exactly no that's absolutely true and I think um, you are right that when we do talk about freedom it is the conversation tends to be quite political um, or you know socio-economic rights but we don't talk about economic freedom enough um, and so whenever you know we look at different areas um of like the education, the right to education for all, or access to healthcare, Um, but when we think about economic participation, um, especially in a country where we're now seeing the, you know, we're seeing the fallout, unemployment is so high, but it also disproportionately impacts. So, certain groups tend to bear the burden um, of an unequal economic system, and what you know, apartheid was as much of a discriminatory and, like, hmm. from a legal perspective, it was also about, you know, the budget, about, like, economic prosperity for one group over the other.
0: Um, so, yeah. If you know what I find really interesting conceptually is how you've just differentiated between civil and political rights then socioeconomic rights, and then economic rights proper, almost on its own, because when we think about socioeconomic rights, the budget is already implicated. But we'll come to that distinction in a second. I think that's interesting. I just want to pause over something that you've said, um, at the risk of mansplaining your excellence. It is so important, isn't it, that when we talk about making amends for our past, that we also talk about economic justice. I I find it mind-boggling how many people are uncomfortable to talk about economic justice when we want to talk about questions of making amends for apartheid and for coloniality. It is almost as if you are creating an awkward situation in a conversation if you move from civil and political rights to saying, let's talk about the land question. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is your position on the land question? For your demographic and your friendship circle that you move in, is it accepted that you can't talk about reconciliation, for example, without necessarily talking about economic justice? Or is it still really awkward to talk about economic freedom?
1: (laughs) Oh, it, it's definitely still, um, quite awkward. I think, um, for a lot of, for different reasons, I think that, um, people that I surround myself with tend to be activists and so tend to be quite well versed in the law, um, and then quite averse to numbers, uh, which is under Well, I'm on the opposite <laughs> side of things. I'm like, you know, comfortable with the numbers, but then when it comes to the law, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Hmm. Um, but I also think, um, what is, Especially what, when it's more pronounced is whenever we have meetings either within treasury or even like during budget week, um, it does get pointed out that, oh, this is interesting that as a young black woman, I'm mm. um, speaking about this. So I think one of the reasons why, um, this conversation isn't, um, you know, we don't have this conversation as much as because of the lack of representation within the space of budget Absolutely. forming. And that's why Absolutely. we advocate for gender responsive budgets or budget processes that mm-hmm. reflect the lift reality and the different um, identity markers of people in this country. The
0: two more things I want to touch on to bring this vignette to a close. I, I really love this. You know, when I talk about Freedom Day on radio, on podcasting, on social media, it is all typically around and I don't bemoan this. We mustn't be glib as young people. I didn't vote to 94, so I'm still young-ish. We celebrate the importance of 94, but we don't always do critical stock-taking because we don't want to ask tough questions about how much more work we have to do. So I really appreciate how much you and I have discussed the fact that freedom must be cashed out in economic, socioeconomic, material terms, and not just be about civil and political rights. I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. The same with reconciliation. There's so many people who wanna talk about reconciliation, but then they wanna leave the room if we say, next, the land question. But my second last theme I wanna explore with you is your skill set is numbers. When it comes to budget allocation, section 27 that your organization is named after is the part of the Bill of rights that says that progressively we should realize access to such goods as health and education, for example. We don't see that. Millions of people don't actually enjoy that. Do we have too big a demand for the resources, or do we have a problem of corruption and poor governance fundamentally? What do the num- the numbers say?
1: Yeah, that is actually also um, a really powerful point. So, um, just based off of my experience, I don't think that. The problem that we have is the numbers, or we're asking for too much, um, because, you know, many other countries, um, and South Africa too, like we, you know, don't want to disregard the, um, the positive steps that we have taken. So education and healthcare are the biggest allocations to the budget. Um, but in recent years, that allocation is decreasing or increasing at a decreasing rate. Um, one of the issues, that I I would say that we face or that we're seeing in those countries that there is a lot of allocation, but the biggest problem is that the way that money is spent um, does not re, um, translate into the realization of those rights to education and healthcare. Um, we are noticing, or and I think Treasury has noticed that too, is that there's lots of underspending of the budget, and so it, it appears that provinces, especially uh, traditionally more rural provinces or undercapacitated, they don't even they are unable to spend the budget, and so lots of money, like millions,
0: gets returned. So that makes me depressed. I, I, I have to ask this as a footnote question, even though I wanted to ask a, a different last question, which are, which I still will if we have time. Are you telling me that besides corruption in our country and all the stealing and state capture that we have, not only are money stolen from the public purse, but the, a lot of the money that is not stolen. Is wasted because of technocratic inability to spend it. Yeah.
1: So even if we were able, that's to, criminal. Yeah. If we were to recoup all the well, as much of the money from corruption, then it is a problem of like what, like do we have the capacity wow. to actually utilize that funding?
0: That's what our indices on inequity, injustice, material deprivation that is just politically and morally unforgivable. The last question I want to ask you, I, t- I don't know how you're going to answer this, given what we've just said. Are you, are you optimistic about our country as a, as a young South African? you 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 are so brilliant conceptually. You've told us that you have fluency in numbers. You're clearly also fluent in the concepts that people who are good at numbers are not usually fluent in. You could have a career in corporate if you wanted to. Given your deep commitment to social justice, but the reality that you've just pictured for us with monies that are stolen, unspent, lack of budgeting skill, how do you feel about the future of our country? Honestly, between us girls.
1: (laughs) Uh, Surprisingly, contrary to maybe the um, issues that I've raised, um, I'm actually very optimistic about the future and the present um, because of the work that I do the people that I work with I've seen you know just we've made such huge strides and I'm always inspired by that work and I it it inspires me to think oh how can I do better because I yeah I'm just really inspired by the people that I'm around when I see our generation at first it did seem like quite a well born freeze like quite um yeah sorry I'm
0: sometimes <laughs> contrarian yeah. sometimes like you don't want to be part of being creators of a different future, but just to describe how bad things are, but you are rolling up your sleeves, You not she's not wearing any at the moment, uh, <laughs> but you roll up your sleeves and you're actually getting involved, which is obviously making yourself an actor rather than opting out.
1: Trying to be a catalyst.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, <stuff. laughs> listen. Section Twenty Seven does amazing work. I'm very proud of what you guys have always done, and it's lovely to have spent the morning with you. It's great to see you doing this work, and that the founding parents of the organizations are keeping a distance because you can take over as a new collective. If people want to get involved, if donors want to give money to the organization, what's your website? Where can they learn more? Section27.org <laughs> says the rest of the audience. For the first time, we're actually busy recording live with a studio audience that is very well behaved. Section27.org. Citi, thanks so much for coming on the platform. Once
1: again.